Paramita smile. Let true Dharma continue. Universal Sangha relations become complete. Due to the remarkable vow of young monk Edo, the New York Zendo was born in Manhattan in the fall of 1968. Now, three years later, a gift has been made of 1,400 acres with a beautiful lake high in the remote Catskill Mountains of New York. The dream of an international Daibosatsu Zendo is at last about to come true. The lake is called Beecher Lake. And it was here that Harriet Beecher Stowe was inspired to write Uncle Tom's Cabin, which became an important factor in the emancipation of the slaves. My friend, Father Nyokyo Maxima, is now painting a large mural of Shakyamuni Buddha holding up a flower, with Mahakashyapa smiling. Indeed, from dawn to dusk, this is a spiritual mountain, a sacred lake. I will keep my ephemeral body here for a while, so that I may assist in the liberation of all beings. A night at night, essence of flower becomes a firefly. In this remote mountain, an American monastery. anyone wants to come forward please feel free to come so that you can at least hear the words even though they might have absolutely no meaning <laughs> both for the speaker as well as for those who are listening Today is Saturday, March 10th, 2018. And we have come together here to commemorate the life and the doings of Nakagawa Soen, who, as you heard in the dedication, is one of the founders of this wonderful place. What I read just a few minutes ago was written by Soen Roshi on March 28, 1974. And of course, most of you know not only New York Zendo, but also Daibosatsu Zendo, international Daibosatsu Zendo, later also called Kongoji. You might ask, was it, what, what is it about those ancestors? Why do we have such respect for them? Why do we bring them up all the time? Every day we have Tedai Denpo, 
the lineage chant, the dedications to the ancestors happens at various times during the day. Why? Is it that we believe in them like we believe in saints? Is it that we believe that the actual story that there is an unbroken lineage that goes back to the Buddha is true? Does it matter what we believe? Huh? What do you say? It is important that we listen. It is important that we participate. It is important that we know where we come from as a practice. It is important that we see in the now and here all of that that has brought us here. <laughs> this is where we are. Partaking of the lands of the First Nation. They were here before we came. And in this case, the Western culture, without any questions, out of the feeling of being superior, just taking what appeared to be for theirs. It's wonderful to hear the life of that nation, of the many nations who came before the Western cultures came, still sharing their heartbeat with us. And that is something that we have to keep with us when we look at our ancestors. There is a heartbeat there. There is some dedication there. There is some energy there that comes from a place that transcends time, culture from a deep human place as well as from a deep place that is beyond human, animal, stone, grasses, insects, whatever we may say. So in Roshi's poem points to that. At night, essence of flower becomes firefly. Today, the essence of the First Nation becomes our sound background, the heartbeat. It's very important that we do not come to a place where we think we are beyond that. In fact, one of the very sometimes troublesome properties of a human being is that we are programmed to assert ourselves in whatever way is necessary to survive. And that's probably from the point of view of nature perfectly okay. Animals have an instinct of survival, and for that they go and they find prey. They kill. But they don't do it in a way like we humans do. For the fun of it, out of frustration, no. For a very, very deep-seated instinct of survival. However, we are human beings as a species. We have a lot of growing up to do. And that is one of the reasons why we are here. We are here in that lineage 
of these ancestors who all made a vow to explore deeply what it is that it means to be a human being and what it means to actualize all the potential that we have that has shown over millennia and that shows to us, reveals itself in front of us every moment, every day, every place. Let true Dharma continue, Soan Roshi says. Universal Sangha relations become complete. We chant it all the time, but do we really go deep into it and with our guts feel what it means? What does it mean to let true Dharma continue? What does that mean? Is it four words? Or does it really mean something? And the question is not what does it mean to the academics? What does it mean what we write down in the mission statement of the Zen Studies Society? What it means is what it means to you. And that is the most important meaning. Shobo Kuju. Let true Dharma continue. In the pulse of life, however it skips, whatever pattern it plays, true Dharma continues. And look at your mind. Maybe in the beginning, when you heard the drum first time from next door, you thought, who is interfering with my samadhi? <laughs> Who is daring to... We are eating now! Stop it! And by that, the beat of the drum has become our teacher. Our teacher who gives us the opportunity to see how this human mind works. I want it quiet when I eat. This is a serene place. How dare the outside world come into my little bubble of spiritual sanctity? Well, these thoughts come sometimes. It takes a long time in this practice to be at the point where Swan Roshi was at the end of his life. And when you read descriptions of encounters with Swan Roshi, you will read that however you came, you were okay. However you were. And that's the same now. However you are, however it is, it is okay. No need to push the drums away. No need to push the pain away. No need to avoid that what we rather not face. Because in the end, it will come down to what we call our own human imperfections. And when Rossi, so and Rossi in this case says, Okay, the absolute acceptance of what is, of who appears in front of us, is telling us in the end, whatever we meet, it is ourselves. This is myself. There are no drums next door. There is no world out there. It is all us. During lunch, the essence of ourselves manifests as the drums. 
Right now it seems to be quiet. Ourselves, our essence manifests as quietness. To let true Dharma continue and what it means to you is the center of this practice. Of course, those are words, but try to get in, to feel for yourself what it means when the Dharma just, without anything else, continues. And it says, let it continue. So it is a letting something happen and not obstructing it. In your breath, if you sit session long enough and your mind calms down, your heart opens, then some bubbles or some things that have been kept down at the bottom of the ocean of yourself in the muck start coming up. Could be bubbles, that's the easy stuff because that comes up and, and it's gone. Maybe it smells a little bit and you go, oh, what is that? Stay down there. But sometimes real floaties come up and they bob around on the top and you think to yourself, oh my God, what is that me? And, and you have to deal with them. You have to deal with them with the things that are kept down that mean to continue like true dharma. Let true dharma continue doesn't mean keep all the stuff that we think is not true dharma suppressed. So letting go is really, really important. And the next sentence, universal sangha relations become complete. What does that again mean? Okay, we tolerate those Native Americans next door because it's the right thing to do. It's politically correct. Oh, First Nation, I'm sorry. So we have to keep with the language. That's one thing, yeah, but what is universal Sangha relations that are truly complete? In the moment when you hear the drum, now they don't do me the favor to play. So, so and Roshi would ask you, or Joshua Roshi would ask you, or whoever in this lineage would say, when you hear this sound, where are you? Where are you? Compressions in the air are touching my eardrum. <laughs> it is flexible and there are nerves that somehow bring an electrical pulse to this thing that I've never seen. It's my brain and that tells me that there is somebody making noise. Is that what happens when you hear the sound? Probably not. That might happen happen afterwards, but at the very moment where you encounter, before there's a you, where the relationship is so close that it becomes one and is complete, that is the universal kinship that we have with everything that exists in this universe. And the hard thing for us to figure out is that it is truly everything, not just what we pick and choose. Oh, I like to make universal relationship with that thing, but that one, eh. Universal means everything, not leaving anything out. So I hope I have set out the stage for what I will talk about now after making universal relationship with the water in the cup. <laughs> <laughs>
due to the remarkable vow of young monk Edo. York Edo was born in Manhattan in the fall of 1968. In the fall of 2018, it will be 50 years that this place has been here. 50 years. I see a good number of people who have not been around for a fraction of 50 years. So this place here and what's going on here has been around for quite some time, half a century. And so in Roshi says, due to the remarkable vow of a young monk. Whatever name we may fill in, maybe it should be your name. In whatever you do, whatever your occupation may be, one day, isn't that something you would like to hear about yourself? Due to the remarkable vow of something terrific happened. At that time when Soen Roshi wrote it, it was just three years. And that was the time when an additional gift was made. And Daibosatsu uh, Zendo, the land was acquired. How many of you have been at Daibosatsu? Uh, uh, maybe it's easier. Who has not been <laughs> at, the, at Daibosatsu? It's waiting for you, just like So and Roshi is waiting for you in the dark annexes of emptiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Daibosatsu Zendo is a wonderful place. It is a gem. And you all know that Soren Roshi invented, came up with the mantra, Namu Dai Bosa. And it's quite remarkable because, you know, there are all kinds of mantras for all the various Buddhist aspects you have in the Japanese uh, Buddhist pantheon. Everybody has their little mantra. Do you know any? Well, what does, what does Jodo Shinshu do? Jodo Shinshu, the Shin Buddhists. Uh, namu Amira Butsu, Namu Amira Butsu, Namu Amira Butsu. What does Nichiren do? Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, Namu Mo, in the name of the Lotus Sutra. And it's interesting if you look at history, at some point you had in Kyoto one mob on one side going, Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu, another mob on the other side going, Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, Namu Myoho Renge Kyo. And the Bodhisattvas were fighting each other. What does it take to have that happen? human beings. <laughs> That's all it takes. And we are of the same kind. And we have to be really careful when we do that. So there's this Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, and then, of course, at Daibusatsu Zendo, we have all those little chants for the various uh, Idaten, the kitchen deity for Jiso. Yeah. Jiso, who knows Jiso Darani? So, all these various flavors, but Namu Daibosa brings all of these together into one more encompassing universal relation to all bodhisattvas. In March 1974, Soen Roshi wrote the following haiku. Kuniguni no yuki tokete namu dai bosa. 
snow of all countries melting into Namudai Bosa. Instead of countries, we could say people. Hitobito, people, people, all of us. Like snow, we can melt in Namudai Bosa. The great Bodhisattva vow that we make and the trust that we develop in the practice of that great Bodhisattva heart that does not need to be named. It does not need to be named Jizo. It does not have to be expressed in the verses of the Lotus Sutra. It does not have to be Amida Butsu. Namudai Bosa is here and now with us and due to the remarkable vow of people like us a practice like this one continues guni guni no yuki tokete namu daibosa snow of all countries melting into namu daibosa It's a good time to talk about teachers because this is an ancestral service. It's also a time where one of the recent teachers has disappeared. Whenever a human being passes, we ought to express our understanding and deep compassion for those who miss that person. We also ought to acknowledge that we all, and nobody is exempt from that, we all will perish sooner or later. And that is the point maybe where you would want somebody here saying due to the remarkable vow of so-and-so. I have been a professional dealing with teachers since the age of five, four, actually, when my mother decided to teach me how to play the piano. She was my first piano teacher. And as that didn't work out too well, Through my career as a classical trained pianist, I had maybe 25 different teachers, always one at a time, one at a time. And looking back at them, I have tremendous gratitude to all of them. And I have learned something from each of them. That was the biggest lesson that I received in that training from teachers. And it was not really that different from Zen practice. Because then in the end, a good teacher finally said to me, it's not about you trying to do what I show you. It is time for you to let the music play from your heart. Look at your lives, look at your body, at your mind as an instrument that you are meant to play the same way. And you can find a teacher, you can find somebody who has walked this path a little longer than you have and you can rely on them, you can trust them and you can work with them in the various setups. For me it was a lot of this, yeah. but in Zen practice it was not different.
and looking at the Butsudan and seeing Soen Roshi and realizing that this is my Dharma great-grandfather makes the ancestral teachers become not something that is just a thought but it's a palpable feeling that manifests and has to manifest in some kind of vow to live up to the best that we carry in us, to live up to the best that we can achieve in that very short span that we have to be on this planet here, and to not get stuck necessarily when we fail and we will fail from the point of view of the Dharma if you think about it and you don't act it out uh, it's already not wholesome behavior so here I look at Soren Roshi and here I look at all of you and I sit in this seat here and I see that you all are my teachers. You all are each other's teachers. And that is what makes us human beings different, that we can learn from each other. We can learn from each other what it is that it means to let our little self not just dominate everything we do. What it means that we can give it up for the greater good of not just the me, but the us. And then beyond the us, the whole world. I'll read you one more passage from Soen Roshi that he wrote in January 1967 and he said Buddha Dharma has perished in India Zen has declined in China it has maintained its like its vein in just a few scattered areas of East Asia now and that was 1967. Now it is crossing the Pacific Ocean, moving eastward to the United States, and going westward to Europe and Africa. And it is about to blossom. This year is the 200th anniversary of Zen Master Hakuin's death. And it follows the 1100th anniversary of Rinzai's. Bodhidharma says, one flower opens five petals. Thinking of how the true Dharma prevails on the five continents, as well as in our five inner organs, I'm overcome with tears and bow. This year, as I celebrate the calendar's turn to the year of the sheep, my 60th birthday, I pray for an auspicious future for all beings. Tachi kaeri, tachi kaeri tsutsu, soshi no haru. Returning and returning, ancestral teachers spring. Wow. Do you feel the weight on your shoulders? It is there. It is there. By doing this practice, we take on that vow to bring forward not only the ancestral teachings, but 
the best of humanity. It doesn't have to be called Zen. It doesn't have to be called Buddhist. We happen to be here in this setting because it suits us. But that flower is opening, and we are the ones to carry it forward. It's not a theoretical thing, no. Every little action that we set, every little thing we do, every thought we think makes a difference. This year, or let's say last year, was the 250th anniversary of Hakuin Zenji. And in fact, uh, Shingeroshi and I and Shuko-san, my wife, and two students of Shingeroshi were invited by Noritake Roshi to come to Ryotakuji in Mishima and to participate in the 250th anniversary celebration of Hakuin Zenji. It was quite remarkable. It was quite remarkable. What was remarkable was for us to sit at the top of the guest side, watching the creme de la creme of Japanese Rinzai Myoshinji Zen parade in front of us in robes that were stunning. But that was not what really came out of it. What came out of it was their dedication to the work that Hakuin and the following ancestors did. We were invited to go in and look at his statue. It's a carved statue of Hakuin, and it has glass eyes. And when you go in there, <laughs> wherever you go, he's looking at you. Yeah? And you don't forget that. You don't forget that look. It's out of the dark, piercing. I am watching you. And Ryotakuchi, of course, was the place where Soren Roshi was the abbot. He was made abbot by his teacher, Genpo Roshi, Yamamoto Genpo, in 1950. Do you remember what his reaction was? Hmm? Oh, well, he ran away. He ran away, and Genpo Roshi had to step up and be the abbot for yet another year. But then eventually, uh, in 1951, Soen Roshi returned. And he, he, he never kept with what the proper thing to do is with the Japanese Roshis. And it is quite complicated, I have to tell you. We spent two hours making out envelopes for gifts with money in it. And the minutiae that goes into that is for Westerners, I would say, frustrating. It has to be exactly that way. You have to write exactly that on it. And inside the money, you cannot give money that was folded before. You have to go to the bank. You have to get fresh bills. Yeah. You have to have folded in a specific paper and in an envelope written with the right kanji and the right amount. And then you hand it over when you get to the temple. And while we were sitting there behind us, there was a row of like 15, 20 monks <laughs> ripping the thing open basically and taking the money out and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so there, that, that, that's one facet of Japanese culture, I suppose. But at Ryo Takuji for the service there's a walking service, and all the Roshis from the various big temples were there and wearing their purple, purple kodomo. And they had a big piece of sandalwood that was offered in front of the altar. It, w it was beautiful. And it brought some life 
or some connection back. And Shingyuro, she was very happy to be there, back at Ryotakuji. Fifty years to what I just read to you, what Soan Roshi had written. The current abbot of Ryotakuji is Goto Eizan Roshi. And he also appeared at uh, Edo Roshi's funeral. It's wonderful to see that kinship. Ryotakuji is, is an important place for this uh, lineage that we are in here. The dragon, Ryo. Now that Zen has died or declined in China, it's really, I think there might be some revival there if you have gone lately. There are some bigger monasteries. And Nori Takeroshi, who travels a lot, uh, reports that there are a lot of young children, young, uh, young monks in China again in the Buddhist temples, which is an encouraging thing to see. But for us here, having received that Dharma that came over the Pacific Ocean. We have to become clear what we do with it and how we practice with it. And one of those practices is how we deal with human imperfection. Not only our own, which we try to avoid by all means, not really successfully, leading us into personal suffering or acting it out on others. But also seeing that our ancestral lineage, our being here is based on a lot of misdeeds of all kinds of different shapes and forms. Our Native American First Nation friends next door remind us of that. And we can be reminded of that in any moment. Existing as a person means to do harm, even without any intention. When you inhale, the little hairs in your nose filter out microorganisms that are floating around in this air. And in order for your body to survive, some kind of mucus catches them and <laughs> yeah oh it's just a microbe yeah <laughs> it's just a microbe and it's so that i survive we we draw that line really very arbitrarily i wonder what it would be to have ears that hear vegetables cry <laughs> cut off broccoli. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't yell, it doesn't have consciousness, but what do we know? The line is very arbitrary. In certain cultures, dogs are fine to eat. In our culture, people spend more money on their dog than on their children. So being aware of that spectrum we have in between and judging people who lived before us, black and white, it's all good or it's all bad. Those are the extremes. And now the interesting thing is when I talk to people about it, they say, no, no, that's really not how it is. There is really no pure white and there is no complete black. There are millions of shades of gray in between. And I think to myself, no wonder you're depressed. <laughs> because it's not millions of shades of gray. It's inconceivable numbers of colors that are in between. Nature doesn't know just gray. Yes, white is one spectrum end. 
The other spectrum is black, but in between you have all the colors. And red means, when you see red, it means that blue is incomplete. If you see one color, you know you're leaving something else out. And that is how our existence on this planet is. Affirmation means negation in a dualistic world. Negation means that something else implicitly is affirmed. And I suppose, I suppose a couple of us here do actually appreciate colors, flavors, feelings in their incompleteness. True? Oh, yeah, I see. Maybe 50 shades of gray at most. So what do we do about that? Is there anything wrong with saying, I like red? And through that saying, well, I don't care so much for green and blue. I like red. Is there anything wrong with it? No, no, no. I like red. Take that off. I like red. <laughs> That's where it starts. <laughs> to be difficult. And then, of course, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to, to press my red on to you, but it felt good for a moment. Uh, but so what is it that we can do when, when things like that happen? Does it ever happen to you that you kind of want things your way? in a way that it interferes with other people wanting it the way they want it, yeah? <laughs> Isn't that the, 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 the kind of perfect recipe for some kind of combustion? Yeah, yeah. Some people even get attacked. Imagine that, physically. So uh, there are all kinds of uh, ways to do, to engage in that unreflected kind of uh, primal self-affirmation. We can learn to get closer to that. And it's said in our meal chant, the third one, what does it say? Thirdly, what is most essential is the practice of attention. We have to pay attention to how we as a being work what kind of, what we think reflexes there are. Yeah, you poke me at some point. But is that really a reflex? There are certain things we can't do anything about, yeah? If you have feeling and you stick your hand in the fire, you probably will pull it back. But the reflex of indiscriminately affirming yourself is only seen as such. It has to be looked at very, very carefully in Zazen. Zazen has so many wonderful opportunities to see that. First, we start out in all the calmness possible. Then those damn drums start <laughs> and interfere with serenity and this person is breathing too loud. And what's wrong with her? And the avalanche goes off. And that's okay as long as we pay attention to it. Pay attention and learn from it. Every failure is the seed 
to seeing through whatever caused that failure. And the not giving up on looking at it that way is getting out of the way of true Dharma. So we have to make an effort that we, that we come. I spoke about action when I spoke yesterday in the introductory words. We have to take action, yeah? But the best action, what's the best action? Bougie, absolutely nothing to do. That is the best action. But intention is important to bring our understanding to that point where we can truly get to the point where we have nothing whatsoever to do. But that doesn't mean we fall down dead. We still breathe. We still live. We make universal Sangha relations become complete. So and Roshi expressed this in a poem in, written in January 1980. Sakura ima kairaku tomo Cherry blossoms neither open nor fall eternal now. Even though we see the ephemeral body, as Zohan Roshi called it, and the changes of that, what is stricken by impermanence, to make the connection with that that is beyond time, beyond space the eternal now in the cherry blossoms is what our practice helps us do. So what do we do when we fail? We haven't answered that question yet. We get mad at ourselves, is that helpful? A couple of times maybe, yeah. Some people make a career out of it, or a lifetime. Mm, don't be one of those. So we do something very specific here when we fail. This is the way how we do it uh, explicitly. Explicitly by chanting Sangemon, 
the purification. But that's not enough. Oh, we're good to go now. Let's go. Let's sin a little bit more. Let's mess up. Let's be egotistic. That's not how it works. You all know that. But still, we have this explicit way of doing it. Are there other ways, like implicit ways? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. Good answer. Of course there are. Every action, and that's why I pointed you to the action, that we give ourselves to fully. And this context of a zendo with formal structure, with a schedule, with specific ways to do things, gives us a container and a framework to let ourselves melt into completely. And when we do that, at that moment, there is no mistake. No mistakes are made. Some external person might say, oh, you didn't bow. But with the fullness of your existence and your being, whatever you manifest at that time in its perfection is not a mistake. That's the implicit way of purifying our action by having it be pure. We have a lot to learn as a species. And frankly, there are too few people like those assembled here who make it their business to carry forward the best intentions in humanity. So don't think this is uh, not appreciated, first of all. Your being here for each other with this practice is what brings Soren Roshi to his tears. It is what can give all of us hope in these troubled times where it is unclear what will happen in a couple of hours and realizing that it's always been like that with one difference. And what is the difference? We are here and we can do something about it. You are all alive. Yes? Huh? Yeah, good, good. We are all alive. We can do something about it. And hopefully, when the time comes for us to depart and meet Soen Roshi, forehead to forehead, and our eyebrows entangle. And hopefully somebody will say, due to the remarkable vow of this human being, yet there is another day of hope for humanity. Namu 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 Ram.